Welcome, my pretties. Please do come inside, grab a beer, and have a seat, because things are about to get spooky. Hello and welcome to the Spook Inn. I am your host, Saf, and this is the show where I drink beer and talk about horror movies. Today on the show, I'm drinking Odd and Curious from Scarlet Lane Brewing Company, and I'm spooking with Death himself. As I mentioned, this week's beer is from Scarlet Lane, and it is called Odd and Curious. It is a pineapple pale ale for the Odd and Curious. That's all it says. It's 5% ABV, 35 IBUs, which is the most Osley Docking Bay, Hangar 3.5, on our geek IBU scale. Also on the side of the can, it says Odd and Curious Pineapple Pale Ale with Eldorado, Citra, and Horizon Hops. So now we know what hops we have. Speaking of the can, front and center we have this skull carved into a pineapple. The whole label is black and white with like maybe some gray, but you know, those type of colors. It says Odd and Curious on the top, pineapple pale ale on the bottom. It's very uh, spooky, a lot of bones. There's like this old school flowery type wallpaper in the background that has the O and C kind of in there with some bones and some different leaves and stuff. It's very cool. I really like this a lot. You have to check out this can. It's hard to describe actually. There's like cobwebs, eyeball, but this pineapple with the skull is really the reason that I chose it for this. It's got very Final Destination-y. Like the cover of those movies, it's like Devin Sawa's face, but kind of like you can kind of see his skull through his skin a little bit. Every poster kind of looks like that. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. And also, Scarlet Lane is the official beer of horror. It also is the official beer of the Oddities and Curiosities Expo, which is a thing they do in Indy every year with different vendors and like selling weird spooky art and artifacts and paraphernalia and all that type of stuff it's pretty cool my wife and i went to it this year and got a lot of art prints that were very spooky and uh we picked up this beer afterwards speaking of the beer we've got a nice orange dark orange ipa color pretty it's on the darker orange side maybe down 13 14 15 nothing horror i can think of on that goes with this kind of i'm also doing this in a different room with different lighting so it's tough to compare but i'm gonna go with ben Grimm for this one the thing it kind of looks like that little rocky man from the fantastic four animated series or comic books or the michael chiklis version to be honest smell wise you're getting a lot of that hoppy profile coming through the citra eldorado i'm not sure what a horizon hop smells like but definitely the more piney west coasty type hops is what i'm noticing i feel like a little bit of the bitter hops and less of the like tropical hops let's say but i'm ready to drink it on down yeah the upfront flavor and a little bit of the back end is that grassy piney hoppy flavor but in the middle there is a nice like juiciness to it and and it's it's really quite pleasing 
Yeah, once you get past the little bit of a bitter bite that it has, there really is a lot of good flavor. And it's a pretty unique beer, I think. I am an IPA fan. I like the bitterness for the most part. This one, 35 sounds like not enough. There, there's definitely a like a lingering bitterness on the palate after you sit the beer down and just let it let your mind or let your mouth kind of sit with the flavor. There is a little just a, a slight aftertaste, kind of almost metallic-y in a way. Uh, but let's check out Untapped. I'm only seeing 10 ratings on this. And with these 10 check-ins, there's a 3.55 average. No friends, obviously. There's very few comments. Rob says, bitter and not sweet. I don't taste any pineapple. He gave it a 325. He tagged his friend Jennifer, who right under him says, easy drinking beer and gave it a three and a half. Yeah, the pineapple is kind of secret. Like, I think that's the flavor in the middle in between the two bitter areas i was talking about that nice like sweetness i think that is the pineapple flavor it kind of tastes like a, a pineapple like jelly bean or like a gummy bear harboro gummy bear is that what they're how it's pronounced i don't know it's like artificially um pineapple not like a sweet ripe pineapple tjc says hope they didn't spend a lot of money on the pineapple because it doesn't come through but nice West Coast Pale Ale anyway. Official beer of Oddities and Curiosities Expo. He gave it a four. And I completely agree with all of that. Not to spoil my score. David C. Mild pineapple nose. Just a slice of pineapple on the tongue. A good fruited IPA purchased at the brewery. Didn't specifically say which one because they have like six locations. Uh, he also gave it a four. Andy H. says, catching up from Friday's share with Dave. No pineapple on the nose, but got a little bit on the taste. 375. Tom says, very subtle pineapple. Great beer, though. Jeff S. Pineapple question mark. Two and a half. So a lot of people are in agreement that the pineapple could be more, which I think when it comes to beer, pineapple is a hard flavor to get right, or at least to get like that big punch of pineapple flavor. It's not a super flavorful thing like some other fruits might be i feel like more like mangoes and stuff like that kind of come through a little bit better but this pineapple one i i am enjoying this beer a lot i would definitely buy it again and with that said let's me get to my check-in all right so what i said on my check-in was bitter forward with a hint of pineapple followed by a bitter aftertaste i gave it a four out of five and um really my only caveat is that it is a very good West Coast IPA. West Coast IPAs aren't my favorite because they're a little overly bitter. I know this says, it just says pale ale. It doesn't say IPA, but it really does taste like a West Coast IPA to me. And a lot of the comments agreed. There's just that little hint of pineapple that elevates it. But I really wish the pineapple was stronger. But it's still a really good beer. If you're into the West Coast IPAs, this would definitely be one I recommended even though like I said it's just a pineapple pale ale and overall it's very good so I think four out of five very solid score all right now let's get into talking about the movies Final Destination is an American horror franchise that includes five films two comic books and nine novels it is based on an unproduced spec script by Jeffrey Reddick originally written for the X-Files television series and was distributed by New Line Cinema. Originally, the studio intended for death to be visible in some humanoid form, but the filmmakers fought against that and won. 
All of its five films are set around a small group of people who escape impending death after one individual sees a sudden premonition and warns them about a major disaster that is about to happen. After avoiding their foretold deaths, the survivors are killed one by one in bizarre accidents caused by an unseen force, creating complicated chains of cause and effect resembling Rube Goldberg machines and then read omens sent by another unseen entity in order to again avert their deaths. The series is noteworthy among other horror films for its use of an antagonist that is not a stereotypical slasher or other physical being, but death manifested with a design on claiming anyone who previously escaped their fate escaped their fated demise. A one-shot comic titled Final Destination Sacrifice was released alongside select DVDs of Final Destination 3 in 2006, and comic book series titled Final Destination Spring Break was published by Zenscope Entertainment in 2007. Now let's go film by film, starting with Final Destination from the year 2000. In the original Final Destination, high school student Alex Browning boards Voli Airlines Flight 180 with his classmates for a field trip to Paris. Before taking off, Alex has a premonition that the plane will explode in midair, killing everyone on board. When the events from his vision begin to repeat themselves in reality, he panics and fights to break out, which leads to several passengers being left behind, who witness the plane explode moments later. Afterwards, the survivors begin to die one by one through a series of bizarre accidents, and Alex attempts to find a way out to cheat death's plan before it's too late. Final Destination 2 from 2003, uh, picking up one year after the first film, features college student Kimberly Corman heading to Daytona Beach for spring break with her friends. En route, Kimberly has a premonition of a huge car pile up on Route 23, killing everyone involved. She stops her SUV on the entrance ramp, preventing several people from entering the highway while Officer Burke questions Kimberly the pileup occurs as she predicted. In the days following the accident, the survivors begin to die one by one in a series of bizarre accidents. After learning about the explosion on Flight 180, Kimberly teams up with Clear Rivers, the only survivor of Flight 180, to try to save a new group of people from death. This time, the survivors are told that only new life can defeat death, and they must stay alive long enough for Isabella to have her baby. Each one of these movies tries to add new rules to the how to cheat death or how to survive and that's an interesting aspect but it's kind of illogical in a way because it's like oh why didn't this work last time or why would it work now if it didn't work last time and oh now you think of that uh, that type of stuff but it's still interesting adds a little new layer every time final destination 3 set five years after the explosion of flight 180 and four years after the pile up on route 23 has high school student wendy christensen visiting an amusement park for grad night with her friends as Wendy and her friends board the Devil's Flight roller coaster, Wendy has a premonition that the ride will crash, killing everyone on board. When Wendy panics, a fight breaks out, and several people leave or are forced off the ride before the accident occurs. When the survivors start to die one by one in a series of strange accidents, Wendy and Kevin set out to save the rem those who remain after they learn of the events of the first two films. They also figure out that the photographs they took at the park have hints of their deaths. There's a lot of logic leaping when it comes to those photographs. I remember, like, there's one with, like, a guy and a sword in the background. It's like, oh, he's going to get chopped to head off. And then that happens. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess you can pretty much see anything when you look at a photograph if you're looking hard enough. Final Destination from 2009, in THE Final Destination set nine years after the explosion of Flight 180, college student Nick O'Bannon visits the McKinley Speedway for a study break with his friends. 
While watching the race, Nick has a premonition that a race car crash will send debris into the stand, causing the stadium to collapse on the guests. When Nick panics, a fight breaks out, and several people leave before the accident occurs. Once again, the survivors are killed in a series of strange accidents, except for Janet, who is rescued just moments before her death. This leads the remaining survivors to believe that they have cheated death, until Nick has another premonition of a disastrous explosion at a shopping mall, which he manages to prevent saving himself, Lori, and Janet. In Final Destination 5 from 2011, Sam Lawton is on his way to a corporate retreat with his colleagues. While they cross the North Bay Bridge, Sam has a premonition that the bridge will collapse, killing everyone on it. Sam manages to persuade several of his co-workers to get off the bridge before the accident occurs. After Candace and Isaac die on a bizarre accident, Sam is warned that death is still after the survivors and told that if he wants to live, he must kill someone who was never meant to die on the bridge and claiming their remaining lifespan. See a new wrinkle like new life prevents death. This one now death prevents death. Olivia and Dennis are killed before they have a chance to save themselves, but Nathan claims the lifespan of a co-worker when he accidentally causes his death in a warehouse accident. Sam and Molly later board a plane to Paris, which is revealed, spoiler alert, to be Flight 180 from the first film. So this whole movie was a prequel, actually set in the year 2000, which uh, I think makes sense. So their surviving leads to the deaths of Flight 180. Flight 180 crashes in order to kill the people that survived, but then people survive that, so then that leads to more chaos. And then I got a little bit of a fun update for the future of the franchise. In January 2019, a new installment was announced by it to be in development from Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema. Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan will write the script with the plot described as a reimagining of the franchise. In August, Devin Sawa expressed interest in returning to the franchise in the reboot. In March 2020, the film, set in the same canon as the first five films, would focus on first responders with series producer Craig Perry stating, We're toying with having it take place in the world of first responders, EMTs, firemen, and police. These people deal with death on the front lines every day and make choices that can cause people to live or die. We rely on their good judgment, expertise, and calm demeanor, so why not put these people in the nightmare situation where every choice can bring about life and death, but now for themselves? We're thinking that world might be an interesting way into a Final Destination movie, and one which can also generate unique set pieces in a very credible way. But then, uh, we know like the pandemic happened, and now, as I'm recording this, there's a writer strike and a SAG-AFTRA strike. So uh, I think the movie is still not even begun filming or anything. So who knows? In September, it was announced that Zach Lipsky and Adam B. Stein would co-direct the film after their, the pair staged an elaborate death hoax in a Zoom call meeting with the studio executives. Towards the end of the call, the fireplace situated behind Lipsky and Stein became engulfed in flames and the mantle began burning. Putting an urgent pause on proceedings, the filmmakers quickly extinguished the blaze, much to the relief of the other meeting participants. But the chaos continued when an overhead ceiling fan came crashing down and de decapitated one of the directors. Producers were impressed with the duo's vision for the project and how their presentation evoked the franchise. The draft of the script at that time was co-authored by Booswick and Taylor from the original story written by John Watts. 
those were not the people I mentioned at the beginning of this. So this movie's been floating around for a while, and they just can't seem to get it off the ground. Hopefully, eventually, we'll see more Final Destinations in the future. This is the time I would normally do a death or a kill count, but I'm not doing a kill count because pretty much everyone dies eventually in these movies, not to mention all the people that die in the opening accidents from the premonitions. So in lieu of that, I have a few fun facts. As I mentioned earlier, the story was originally going to be the concept for an episode of The X-Files, which was inspired by Soul Survivor, a 1984 film. In that movie, a woman who was the sole survivor of a plane crash starts to be haunted by dead people that death uses temporarily as vessels trying to kill her to correct its plan and killing everyone who is suspect about it. Sounds like a pretty interesting movie. I should check that out and report back. The plot also borrows a number of elements from 22 from 1961 involving a woman who has a dream that she believes to be real and later on she witnesses the things that happen in her dream happen in real life, including a plane exploding on takeoff. The numerous appearances of 180 in the film refer to the film's original title of Flight 180. New Line decided to rename the film to Final Destination through fear of confusion of other films like Air Force One and Con Air, both which came out in 1997. I think that's a smart plan, because what would Flight 182 be if they did a sequel? I mean, Final Destination is like a punny title because it's referring to death, and also the Final Destination is you will be now reaching your Final Destination, is what the pilots say. So the pun makes less sense on the sequels, but it's better than... (laughs) trying to follow up Flight 180 with a different sequel name, like Flight 180 Part 2 or something. The ending was drastically different. After Alex sacrifices himself, we cut to Clear giving birth to his baby. The ending is a peaceful one where Carter also also survives and the characters are free of death's design. But who ends a horror movie on a light note? You always have to have that one final twist and jump scare or whatever and that the audience will be talking about when they leave the theater. So I think the ending they went with is probably a smart choice. The original casting choices for Alex and Clear were Toby Maguire and Kristen Dunst. Both actors would later appear in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy as Spider-Man and Mary Jane. That would have been interesting if they did Final Destination instead. They probably made the right choice with Spider-Man. Death was imagined as a much more obvious entity as seen in Todd's death, Yeah, this is a thing that always bothered me. In the first film, uh, during Todd's death, we see a shadow in the mirror and the water that flows like back into the toilet because it's like dripping out of the toilet and then he slips and falls into the shower and like hangs himself on some, after he slips on some soap and whatnot. Uh, And then we see like the water retract. We see the shadows in the mirrors and whatnot, as I said. After this, the filmmakers changed their minds and just had the rest of the deaths as accidents, but they left that in there and that's the only time we ever see like things trying to cover up that it death was involved i wish they would have like edited out the at least the shadows and yeah they didn't show the water retracting either like there's no reason to cover that up death since death doesn't care about covering his tracks later in the movie but now we know why clear's cabin is the same cabin seen in lake placid from 1999 that's an interesting little trivia a year earlier they filmed lake placid there
All right, now we got to get into my rankings of the films in this franchise. The first, this, this was a tough one. I kept going back and forth on the first two. The rest of it all kind of fell in place after that, but I couldn't decide if I liked the first one or the second one more, but I ended up going with Final Destination 2. That's the one with the highway crash. I just thought it elevated the franchise a lot from the first one. It, it figured out like what people liked about the first movie and kind of doubled down on that, like that, the Rube Goldberg aspect, the all the crazy deaths kind of start to go even crazier. In the first one, it's kind of just like, oh, uh, this thing cut this guy's head off, this thing drowned this guy towards the end of the first movie it gets a little bit more into the crazy stuff and then it just the second movie really elevates it and kind of sets the groundwork for the future of the franchise so that's why final destination 2 is my favorite and final destination 1 is number two on my list that's the plane crash obviously then that sets up a lot of the stuff that we love but i just think the the second movie executes it a little better number three is final destination 3 that's the roller coaster one that one's fun. A lot of good deaths. A couple good actors in the second one. And uh, an interesting opening. Like, the, the best part of these movies is, like, that opening action death scene. So, and this roller coaster one is really good. Final Destination 5 is number four on my list. That's the one with the bridge collapse. And uh, the bridge collapse is really cool. Action intense. And I like the way they pull that off. What I also liked about the fifth one is how they kind of tied it back into the first movie at the end. That was a good twist. So there's a couple good things that that movie had going for it. Unlike The Final Destination, which is number five on my list, that's the fourth movie in the franchise, that's the racetrack one. That is the one that was filmed in 3D, and that's that really doesn't hold up when you're watching it at home. With all the, the 3D shit looks bad, and they really lean too heavily into that, which just doesn't work. It's a pretty dumb movie. All right, now it's time to begin talking about the music from these franchises. There's not a lot, but there's a few good tracks that I want to hit, starting with this one. Here we have the main title track from Final Destination 1. Pretty eerie. A few taglines from this movie are, Most people have dreams. For Alex, this is real. Face your deepest fears before they face you. Death is the final destination. Boarding starts now. In the best twisted tradition of the Twilight Zone. A film that decapitates Scream 3. I think they came out the same summer. On March 17th, figure out when it's coming back at them. Intervention, intervention comes at a price. No accidents, no coincidence, no escapes. You can't cheat death. Death doesn't take no for an answer. Can you cheat death? Death is coming. I'll see you soon. Next stop, it's you. Are you ready to match wits with the Grim Reaper? Ton of taglines for this one. And it's a really good, eerie soundtrack. Let's go to another song real quick. This one is Death's Design. So this is when we're really getting into the meat of the action. The film score was conducted by daytime Emmy Award winning composer Shirley Walker. 
Wong and Morgan initially wanted Walker to score the film after having previously worked with her on a sci-fi television series Space Above and Beyond. Walker said, Morgan and Wong are great believers in melody and having music for the characters and situations they find themselves in. Of course, the atmosphere had to be there also, especially for a film with such a, with as much suspense building as the film has. And that's what this song is meant to do. The score is mostly low-key, with the exception of the suspense and death scenes. It was performed by a union orchestra obliging New York Line Seminoles to grant the film its own score. Walker described the score as very theme-driven, conservative music that covers the range from bizarre animal noises with a stronger visceral impact to steering emotional music with a well-defined melody that evolves through the storytelling. The main title piece used at the opening credits was rare for the opening of a film aimed at a youth audience at the time. What a treat for me to get to write a piece that calls you into the movie and lets you know something bad is going to happen from the get-go. Walker said, according to Walker, main title consumed most of her time due to its dark theme and counter-melody that carries throughout the score. Rocky Mountain High by John Denver is also heavily highlighted throughout the film. You can hear that right now. Reminding the survivors that John Denver died in a plane crash. The song is heard either before or accident of a, or a character's demise. So that's a pretty interesting little tease or a little nod to John Denver. And uh, I wish they used that more in the coming films. I think this song pops up one more time or two more times in the franchise. And I think that's pretty interesting. Let's move on to final two. Here we have the main titles for Final Destination 2, and a few taglines as well. It's not over yet. Death is like a boomerang, it keeps coming back. Even death gets a sequel. As you see, the main titles are pretty... just atmospheric, a little muted, and toned down. Let's see what the truck highway catastrophe sounds like. Oh, here, it ramps up a little bit. Just had to give it a little second to get more into the beat. Very early 2000s sounding, obviously. Alright, now we're in the truck catastrophe. This is where everything ramps up. A lot of these, like, drums and clinking noises. I got a few more taglines. You can't cheat death. You can't hide from death, but you may be able to create a rift in death's design. You could be next. You have to follow the signs. For every beginning, there is an end. I do have a couple more songs that I want to get to. This one is called Kimberly Goes to See Clear. 
A couple of more taglines. Death may be closer than it appears. You can't cheat death twice. More speed, more horror, more death. At this point in the movie, Clear is in like a mental institution, so... That's why we get this kind of ominous feeling. Pretty nice little beat here. Here's another song from the movie called Death's New Design. Every film has a section of the movie where they're going over Death's design and trying to figure, put the clues together, and there's, this is that scene, and this is the ominous music that goes along with it. And finally, the flash track for this movie, My Name is Death. I believe this plays over the closing credits, but I might be wrong. like an original song written for the movie. This film was also composed by Shirley Walker. She was one of the few female film composers working in Hollywood. Walker was one of the first female composers to earn a solo score credit on a major Hollywood picture preceded by Suzanne Kane in 1981. And according to the LA Times, it's remembered as a pioneer for a woman in the film industry. Walker often wrote her film scores entirely by hand and always orchestrated and conducted her own scores by herself. Alright, let's skip to Final Destination 3. Alright, here's the main titles for Final Destination 3. Again, pretty ominous, not much going on. Let's skip a little bit ahead. Okay, here we go, now it's ramping up. Here's the next track. Off the, it's called Off the Tracks. There's only one tagline I could find for this one, and it's The Ride Will Be the Death of You. Makes sense because it's about a roller coaster. I like that pounding kind of drum beat. It sounds like somebody is like slowly. Like death is slowly walking towards you or something. Yeah. 
And this next track is called Death Wind. Wind is a very strong force in these films. The score for Final Destination 3 was once again composed by Shirley Walker, who wrote the soundtrack of the series' previous installments. Score mixer Bobby Fernandez created the Gorometer, measuring the violence of death to ensure the score would match those scenes. Recently, after completing work on the feature Black Christmas, and after finishing all three of the Final Destination horror series, Walker died November 30th, 2006 from complications following a stroke. She was only 61 years old. Like the first film, this film used a classic song. And this one is Love Train. Because of a roller coaster is kind of like a train and this song pops up a few times through the throughout the movie they do like a, like a smash mouthy version For that, let's move on to the final destination. This one, obviously composed by a different person. You can tell right off the bat they're going for the heavy metal crowd. With the, uh, the title track here. This one's taglines include... Take the trip in real D3D. Just because you know it's happening doesn't mean you'll see it coming. On August 28th, prepare for the 3D thrill ride everyone's dying to see. On August 28th, no matter what you do or how loud you scream, death will find you. Uh, let's see what the next track on this one sounds like. This one's titled The Raceway. So this is the big death scene. few additional taglines. For 10 years, one franchise reinvented death. On August 28th, death saved the best for 3D. Another nice heavy driving beat on this one. On August 28th, death enters a new dimension, 3D. On August 28th, 3D event, no mercy, no escape, no limits. Again, this is more like the previous franchise music a little bit. I mean, a little heavier beat, but still, like, the orchestration is a little similar, at least, unlike that first song we heard. Uh, I think I have one more track for this, so let's see. I believe this is from the closing credits. It's the Final Destination Suite, so it's kind of like the whole soundtrack summarized in a way. couple of extra taglines. How will you die? Death saved the best for last. 
rest in pieces. I like that one. This score was composed and conducted by Brian Tyler, who I've already mentioned on the Alien and Predator episodes because he was the composer on AVP Requiem, and the Scream episode because he was the composer on Scream 2022. Let's get to this last movie so I can get you guys out of here. How about that? Here's the main titles from Final Destination. I mean, Final Destination 5. Taglines for this one include... Death has never been closer. This summer, death decides how fate dis- how fate decides when. That, that beat scared me. I flubbed that line. This sounds familiar. I like how. Oh, I really like this a lot, actually. I'm just like enthralled with this song. This one's probably my favorite track so far, actually. It's kind of James Bondy at points. It's got like that action movie vibe. It's less scary, but then it gets scary like this. Okay. Here we have Fate's Bridge. This is the bridge movie. A couple additional taglines are We all share a common destination. That is true. And finally, kill or be killed. Because this is the one where they decide you can kill somebody and take their life uh, span or whatever. Interesting little wrinkle. Again, pretty ominous. I like this song. There's a lot of like sweeping wide shots of this. I don't know. It's it's Golden Gate esque bridge that's about to collapse. Definitely building the tension here. Now lastly we have Infinite Finale. The score was also composed by Brian Tyler and performed by the Slovak National Symphony Orchestra. It's the first and only film in the series not to use original themes by Shirley Walker from the previous films. As we heard in uh, Final Destination 4, 
there was some of her music used in the Final Destination suite we listened to. But now Brian Tyler's completely taken over and kind of reinvented the music. And I really do enjoy the music of this movie, maybe more than any of the previous films, so I kind of like how he reinvented it. This is a really solid song, just like the first one we listened to. But that's going to do it for this week of Spookin' with Saf. I declare this meeting of Spookin' with Saf closed. Until next time, drink up and pleasant dreams, everyone. Ha 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 ha.